Welcome to E Pluribus One Cast. This is your host, Sophia Nelson, broadcasting live from Washington, D.C. We have a great episode for you as the country is focused right now on the impeachment hearings taking place in the U.S. Senate. It has been pretty compelling arguments made so far by the House managers with more days of rebuttal from the president's attorneys and maybe even more weeks of testimony and document review, but that remains to be seen. My guest today is Mr. Reed Galen, longtime Republican strategist turned independent, a veteran public affairs and political professional with more than 20 years experience. Reed has been involved in politics, government and business at the highest levels. Reed left the Republican Party and has spent the last several years dedicated to the political reform movement, creating a better system for all voters, including the new Lincoln Project, which we will get into shortly. Reed, how are you doing this morning? Great. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being with us. I know you are out in beautiful Utah and I'm a little bit jealous. Uh, Have you been skiing? Uh, Not in a few days. I've been on the road uh, preaching the good word about the Lincoln Project and just getting out to meet people. Wonderful. Well, I tell you, is it cold uh, in Utah? It is. It is. It's going to snow for the next five days. So we're, oh, but we're my good goodness. For, <laughs> for those of us in Washington, as you know, Reed, when a little bit of flurries happen, they shut everything down. <laughs> no, listen, I grew up back there, and I certainly understand how many days of school I got off uh, when it was just going to threaten to snow, and it ended up raining. So we watched television all day. Absolutely. Well, look, I know that you are a busy man. And in full disclosure to my listeners, I am a senior advisor with the Lincoln Project. And that's important. And I'm very excited about that. And I really want to open up um, with the Lincoln Project. uh, But I think that it would be uh, not wise of me not to talk about impeachment a little bit uh, before we get into that. So first, I want to get your thoughts, um, Reed, on the last two days of of arguments in the senate uh the house managers of course uh have been there presenting their case uh, the president's attorneys i believe get their time coming up within the next day or so uh to have their rebuttal Let, let's just get your thoughts on kind of this whole process what brought us here um and what you think about the case so far that the house managers have made um sure and again thanks thanks for having me i think you know what's been uh, most interesting to me is that, um, you know, most of the senators, uh, you know, especially on the Republican side, um, you know, are either complaining that uh, they've heard all this before because, you know, they had watched uh, the hearings in the House uh, or, you know, the, they're, they're saying, well, this is, you know, there's this is, you know, they, they put on a pretty good case. But I think that, you know, look, I think that Senator Mitch McConnell, you know, the leader and and the Republicans in the Senate want this to go away. They want it to go away as quickly as possible. Um, I think that, you know, that it's this is already going to take a little bit longer than he would have hoped. Uh, the Democrats are going to finish. I think they're, you know, they're opening arguments in the next day or so. And then the president's uh, lawyers will have their time. Um, so I think that what you're going to see is that, you know, the Democrats are likely to, to argue the, the case on the merits and the Republicans uh, and Trump's lawyers are going to argue uh, the case on process and that, you know, he didn't do anything wrong, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't think anything should really surprise us uh, until and unless any of the Republican senators who've been named, whether or not that's Susan Collins, Cory Gardner, you know, Lisa Murkowski from Alaska, um, you know, Tom Tillis from North Carolina agree that they should, um, you know, hear witnesses, see additional testimony, 
um, get this additional information, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't count on that, but, uh, you never know. I think that once these roller coasters get rolling, as you know, um, it just, a lot of things can happen that are unexpected. Let's talk about your home Senator, Mitch Romney, uh, who is certainly uh, one of the names that is floated around as a possible vote for witnesses. Uh, I think that a lot of people, me included, are looking uh, for Mitt to emerge as the Margaret Chase Smith of the Senate here in the Republican Party. I'm, I'm really, you know, like you, I everything you said, I agree with wholeheartedly about what we've seen on Republicans. But talk a little bit about Mitt. I'm, I'm sure he's someone that you know or familiar with. What, what do you think he does um, when this comes down to the question period and the voting on the witnesses? Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, Senator Romney, obviously, if you, if you remember going back to probably the spring of 2016, um, he was a, an outspoken opponent of, of Donald Trump, uh, gave a speech at the University of Utah, mm-hmm. sort of outlining his personal case for why Donald Trump was not only unfit to be president, but also unfit to be called Republican or conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, since being elected to the Senate, I think that, you know, that Senator Romney has the advantage that you know, he's he's run for president twice. Um, he's in a he's in a safe seat, right, in a safe in a safe state. And he's not up for another four or five years, whatever it is. So I think he's willing to be a little bit more expressive and expansive in what he'd like to see. Um, but I think just based on past history, I would not see him as probably the person who's going to lead the charge against uh, McConnell or anybody else in the Republican firmament uh, to make these things happen. Now, that's disappointing, and that seems to be the conventional wisdom here in Washington, you know, that uh, I think we all, particularly given that speech, which was amazing, I remember it well, and the coverage that it got, but then, of course, when Trump got elected, Romney went to meet with him for a possible Secretary of State choice, right? So that kind of made that moot, if you will. Um, Talk a little bit about, as we lead into obviously talking about the Lincoln Project. Um, talk to me a little bit about the Republican Party and why you left. I mean, you you have a long history, as do I, in the party. Um, I believe. Are you? Your dad is involved. Was involved in Republican politics, right? He was for many years. Yeah, he worked on the Hill um, for uh, uh, Congressman and Senator Dan Quayle, then worked uh-huh. for uh, Gingrich when he uh-huh. was a Minority Whip and Speaker, and then uh, you know for then George H. W. Bush when he was Vice President as he was preparing to run for president. Wow. So yeah, he's. He's been around a long time, um, you know, but I think that, that, you know, the party that I literally was darn near born into and, and, sure. and grew up with, uh, you know, other kids got to go to summer camp. And I, you know, I went to Capitol Hill with my dad, um, <laughs> you know, it was just a, it was a different it was a different time in a different place, I think. Um, and I think, you know, all that being accepted, you know, that's 30 some years ago now. Um, you know, I worked for George W. Bush, um, you know, in in Texas when I was in college and then, you know, on both his campaigns and in the administration of his first term. And and so I think that, you know, it was conservatism. But as you know, it was called compassionate conservatism, yes. which it meant that it was still framed optimistically. And at its core, it was not necessarily about winning or losing, but about how to make people's lives or Americans lives better. Um, through, you know, one philosophical lens rather than another. Um, mm-hmm. But but the end result was, you know, let's do right and do well by the American people. And so I think the reason I left the party in 2016 was because, you know, that that had turned on its head, which was, you know, the, the underpinnings of their GOP are, are largely gone. Um, and I think that, you know, from my personal perspective, I said, if if 
what Republicans are looking for from both leadership and at the at the individual voter level is Donald Trump, then that's just not who I am anymore. Um, and that's not good. Yeah. That's not bad. That's just how it was. And so, you know, for the last almost four years, I've been out, um, you know, in the independent and reform space. And I'll tell you, the water is fine. And I recommend it for many people. <laughs> well, you know, uh, let's talk a little bit about that, because I, as one who has not changed her party affiliation, but certainly I live in the Commonwealth of Virginia, and, and that state has consistently turned from red to purple to now blue. And the last three election cycles have been brutal on Republicans. And uh, when the Republicans here in Virginia nominated Corey Stewart for the U.S. Senate against Tim Kaine last time around um, in, I guess it was 2016, um, it it um, really a, a, a dark day uh, when a... Uh, open uh, nationalist supremacist, whatever you want to call him, spewing the type of things that he did gets the Republican Party nomination. It's just been a dark day for moderates and Republicans, uh, conservatives who, like you said, had a sunny, optimistic view of what conservative means. Uh, I'm a Jack Kemp Republican, and sure. I, I think that um, I want to know what your thoughts are on what happened. Talk to us about was the Republican Party headed this way and Trump saw it and just took it down a, a worse path? Or is Donald Trump the reason? What 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 happened to the Republican Party? Um, I, you know, I think there's been there's been a number of, you know, very compelling studies and, and discussions about this. But I, I, I and I agree with most of those that, you know, it's it's, you know, for the for a long time, um, you know, the the establishment wing, right, whatever that was going to call the economic wing of the party was able to, um, you know, focus. It was, listen, let me say this. It was a coalition, right? It was a coalition of small government conservatives, fiscal conservatives, national security hawks and social conservatives. They didn't agree on everything, but they didn't need to agree on everything because they agreed maybe two out of three, three out of four, whatever the case might be. Um, and so what I think we've seen and we're seeing this with both with both parties, not just the Republican Party, but the, the Republicans got there first is um, that, you know, there was a there was this, you know, I think I do believe the Republicans in Washington sort of lost touch with, um, you know, their voters. I think that they generally did not uh, do the things that, uh, you know, those voters were looking for. And I say that more like economically fiscally, you know, those sorts of things. Yeah, look at the deficits. They're through the roof. I mean, right. awful. Yeah. Right. And so um, and so I think that allowed for that fissure that then, you know, the, the Sarah Palins of the world, the Tea Party of the world could then sort of, you know, ramp up. And so I think that Trump, what he did is I think what he's always done in his life, which is he's very good at recognizing the cracks in sort of established systems and exploiting those for his own benefit. And he realized that, you know, the, 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 of the 15 or 16 Republican candidates, none of them were going to, you know, that sort of simmering anger, discontent and resentment that was sort of bubbling up under the surface out, out in the country um, and that they wanted something, you know, very different. And he provided that to them. And, you know, I think that we've been in this sort of, you know, since George W. Bush left office, you know, Barack Obama was significant change, at least from Bush. Uh, Trump was significant change from Obama. And so I think that, you know, we've seen probably since the beginning of this of this century, you know, it's hard to believe it's, we're now 20 years in uh, right. that there's just been a lot of, you know, you know, 9-11, the financial crisis, technology, the upheavals in 
in how we live and how we work and everything else. I think, you know, everybody's sort of a little bit unsettled. Um, and I think that, you know, politics is a lagging indicator. And so what we see is that ultimately, um, you know, that unsettled nature, you know, sort of now starts to pr promote itself within our political system. And certainly we're, you know, we're, we are, look, let me just say this about Trump. Like, it was always going to come to the point where he was on trial before the United States Senate, right? Yeah, I agree. If it wasn't, if it wasn't Ukraine, it was going to be something. Because right. the guy, you know, read any of the books, you know, whether or not it's a very stable genius that just came out from the Washington yep. Post reporters or any of the other books, this is a guy who just cannot help himself, right? He doesn't see the world the way other people see it. He sees it the way he wants to see it and only the way he wants to see it. Uh, and, and as you know, like being president of the United States makes you the most powerful person in the world. Uh, but it also comes with a lot of strictures and a lot of rules. And those mm -hmm. rules matter because they're the rules we all live by. Right. And I, and I think to your point, you know, he's in Davos, uh, Switzerland yesterday. And, and again, I, I, I have to walk away from my television often when I see him because I'm simply jaw dropped at the lack of self-awareness and self-control to not say when you are in the middle of an impeachment trial in the Senate and the House managers are talking about one of the one articles of the art against you is obstruction. <laughs> and you're talking about you've got the documents and they don't. I, you know, I, I'm astounded by the things that come out of his mouth, to your point. And that brings me to uh, the Lincoln Project. I want to talk about that a little bit. It's uh, mm -hmm. very new. It's made a big splash. Um, I'm excited about it. Excited to be a part of it. I'm going to read for our listeners the mission statement on the website. And folks, you can go to lincolnproject.us. Uh, check it out for yourself, uh, support it if it's something that you believe in, if you are a Republican who feels homeless right now or just someone that's not happy with our politics, I think this is a good project for you. But the mission statement says, our mission, defeat President Trump and Trumpism at the ballot box. We do not undertake this task lightly, nor from ideological preference. Our many policy differences with national Democrats remain, however, the priority for all patriotic Americans must be a shared fidelity to the Constitution and a commitment to defeat those candidates who have abandoned their constitutional oaths regardless of party. Electing Democrats who support the Constitution over Republicans who do not is a worthy effort. Wow, what a statement coming from folks like yourself, George Conway. Uh, and uh, Steve and others who, you know, I've known forever and, and just a group of really conservative uh, gentlemen and ladies who just really got fed up. Talk to me a little bit about that mission statement. Sure. I mean, I think that this is one where, um, you know, I think that there's a number of us, myself and, you, you know, you named uh, a lot of our, our founders who uh, for whom, you know, we have spent we have dedicated our, you know, our careers and in some cases our lives to electing those people we thought were the best Republicans, um, you know, for a given office, whether or not that was president, governor, senator, you name it. Um, and I think that what we've seen now is that we've we've transcended with uh, President Trump in office, um, the, the mere sort of, you know, binary choice of politics. And what I mean by that is that, you know, Donald Trump, as I said earlier, found the weakness within the Republican Party and exploited it. But he's no Republican. Right. He's no conservative. Amen he, is, to that. He, he is amoral and lacks ideology uh, and lacks any sort of fundamental core beliefs, which, you know, in many politicians you may may or may not believe in. But at least they come from a perspective that you could try and understand. He is one where he is out for himself, out to protect himself. 
and you know to the extent that he can just go you know break things for the sake of doing that and in the in the process what what i think we are concerned about and i think we should all be concerned about is that he's going to break the country in the process um mm. with very little to show for it excuse me from a from a productive standpoint and so you know he is someone who is you know like many strong men um is you know self and self involved self aware narcissistic whatever the case might be and so everything revolves around him he is not in office for any greater good right he is not in office to take the country in direction a or direction b he is there to say i am great and i am in charge and whatever i say is right whatever i want to do is is right by by definition because i sit in the oval office and that is that is not how a republic can work that is not how a democracy right. can work you must have those guardrails that have typically typically and historically been set up by the constitution um that you know are there to protect all of us and to protect the greater good um i think what we're seeing now though is that the republican party and i should say republican elected officials specifically have uh you know have basically kowtowed uh to trump because they're afraid of you know a mean tweet uh or you know one of you know his minions coming after them in a state um and rather than sticking up and saying you know what i i believe that the country's more important than whether or not i get elected to this next office uh they're all cowering and as we've seen with a lot of these republicans in this senate trial as you were just mentioning i think they're probably in trouble one way or the other right which is maybe yeah, they 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 they're stuck too close to him um and and they will never get the stain of trump off of them uh or they try too hard to figure out how to um have it both ways um as we saw with like a Cory Gardner or Susan Collins and ultimately they're going to look like flip-floppers right so i think that you know none of them ever had the the moral or political courage or the the sort of fundamental backbone to say you know Mr. President i hope you and i can find things that we can agree on but like i don't like the way you act and yep. i'm not going to i'm not going to put up with this kind of um you know abuse of power and and just generally bad behavior Right, you mentioned Susan Collins who I I invoked the name earlier of one of my political heroes, uh, Margaret Chase Smith. I had a chance uh when I spoke at Bowdoin College uh, last year to to go and visit her library and spend time just walking around in her home which is attached to the library. And you know, for us political nerds, people like us, that's pretty exciting stuff and mm-hmm. uh but Margaret Chase Smith's declaration of conscience, you know, when the McCarthy hearings were happening and she opposed Vietnam, she's a Republican woman senator in the 1950s, you know. <laughs> You're talking about right. there are no women in the Senate but her. and you know she stood up she stood her ground and for Susan Collins to hold her seat is hard for me mm-hmm. uh and to see the lack of courage let's talk about that ad that the Lincoln project has currently against Susan Collins and and talk to me a little bit about the ad and some of the other ads that you're running and and intend to run and what what the goal is there sure so yeah so let me just yeah so look our our main mission is to defeat President Trump next November we should just all be clear that it is highly unlikely uh that the Senate will vote to convict him um you know sometime in the next couple of weeks so the ballot box is the next time that the that the president will have to face the voters um but in addition you know Susan Collins Cory Gardner from Colorado Martha McSally from Arizona uh Tom Tillis from North Carolina these these folks have all shown um that they are committed to a political uh you know trying to save themselves politically first rather than doing their jobs as United States senators um not as republican senators but as United States senators and so um we we put out an ad about Cory Gardner last week asking him to you know 
sort of find some some moral and you know physical constitution to stand up to Donald Trump. Uh, and this week we uh, we're calling on um, Senator Collins from Maine to be independent. That's what you know. Maine is a very unique place, as you yeah. know. You said you were up there speaking. Um, and it is one where it, you know, Mainers value independence, uh, regardless of party affiliation in their in their elected representatives. And Senator Collins uh, has has made a career now, I would say, in the last, you know, three or four years in being someone who expresses a lot of concern and is very worried about things. But when the time comes to make the hard decision, uh, she does. She refuses to make those decisions. And so part of part of the Lincoln Project's mission will be to highlight those sorts of things for voters in Maine and say, you know what, you don't you don't have to put up with someone who puts their own interests first, uh, puts the interests of, of themselves and Donald Trump before you. And my guess is that that's, you know, in these places that are not only, um, you know, these are targeted races for these senators, but they're also very competitive races for the presidency. Uh, I think that it's going to be a very tough year for them. And it, I don't know that they'll all lose, but I bet that it's going to be a hard year for a lot of them. Yeah, um, I want to wrap this by just talking a little bit about what I think is the most central issue here. And we've talked around it, but that is what happens to the United States of America, whether it's 2020 and Donald Trump's elected out or it's 2024 and we have to endure four more years of this utter chaos. You know, my nickname for the president and I don't mean this in any irreverent way, but it's it's Pigpen, you know, Pigpen from sure. Charlie Crown. He's got dirt around them. Wherever he goes, he's got this cloud of dirt. And um, Pigpen is harmless, but he's he's got dirt and he doesn't know that he's dirty. He doesn't know that everybody else is kind of running away from him, you know? And, and that's not the case with this president. He revels in this. He embraces it. He loves being the bad boy. He loves saying the unthinkable thing that you and I would never say or do. And I think the question... And, and there isn't an answer to this, but I want your thoughts, which is how do we recover from this? Because I honestly am not sure that when you take the guardrails off, when you allow a president to act like a dictator, a tyrant, a king, and uh, one political party, a major party that's in the majority in the Senate basically says, I don't want witnesses or evidence, and they mock this kind of behavior where does that leave us as a republic and and are we going to be okay well i mean i'm you know i wouldn't do this stuff if i wasn't ultimately optimistic so are we going to be okay i I think we can be um, but i think it's going to take a lot of work not just from you and me but you know for millions of americans out there who um, are rightly disgusted by their politics and rightly have you know not surprisingly and understandably have disengaged and so i think what we've seen is that as the, as the wings and the extremes of the parties have grown in power and noise, uh, those people in the middle who used to, um, you know, dominate politics, who used to decide who was going to be sent to Washington or to their state capital, um, you know, have, have further and further receded into the background of American political life because they just can't, they, they don't want to deal with it anymore. And look, most folks like, are not like you and me, right? Most folks have um, you know, they they go to work, they have their kids that, you know, they, they're paying bills, whatever it is. And so, um, you know, I think that we can be OK, but it's not it to any of us. Right. And so I think that we can never underestimate that, um, you know, our history is not written, um, but we can sure as heck make sure that it's written in a better way uh, than if we just sat back and did nothing. And I would say that that is one thing that you know, just to go back to the Lincoln Project is that we've been very, very uh, heartened by was that the, the level of 
um, grassroots energy and, you know, just activation and enthusiasm from folks, thousands, tens of thousands of folks, you know, who've signed up on our website and everything else. So I think there is a reservoir of people who've been looking for someone or some group to stand up and sort of take the fight, um, you know, to Donald Trump and his ilk, because everybody knows we deserve as Americans, we deserve better than this. Um, but we're going to have to earn, you know, the right to, you know, have the politics we want. It's not just going to happen for us. Yeah, you know, my friend Julian Epstein on the other side, we were committee counsels when we were young long ago, back when Clinton was being impeached. I was on government reform. He was on judiciary. And he likes to say that the public square is now gone. And I think that's an interesting concept that I think you kind of alluded to, that it's we've lost that thing that we had when you were coming up, when I was coming up, certainly when our folks were coming up and our grandparents, where there was discourse and there was debate. But fundamentally, we knew when we had to step up and do our duty. So if you look, for example, at the Nixon impeachment, which he never got impeached, of course, he resigned before that, but the hearings, and you look at, you know, Bill Cohen, who became the senator from Maine after he was in the House, and others, Republicans, uh, Hogan's dad, you know, Governor Hogan's dad, Larry Hogan Mm -hmm. Sr. These guys were Republicans, they were conservatives, but when it came time to do their duty, they weren't attacking their fellow Democrats or, you know, their, their, their counterparts. They weren't doing these ad hominem attacks. They weren't defending. They were looking at the Constitution. And I think that's what hurts me so much, Reed, that I don't see Republicans standing up for the rule of law and saying, wait a minute, I don't care that he's the president of my party. He can't do this. Um, And I don't I don't understand that. I don't think either of us do. But I I think that um, I'm really excited about the Lincoln Project. I'm excited that uh, people like yourself and Steve and others who, again, have years of experience, particularly in Republican politics, have stood up for what is right. Because I think at the end of the day, uh, the millennials and the young people who are watching and i want to get your thoughts on this i think they're going to forever associate the republican party with donald trump and that's what worries me i think we are in trouble demographically with uh, people of color like myself we have been but we're really in trouble i think we're in trouble with women and i think um young people are watching what are your thoughts on again does the republican party survive this or no um you know, I think it's too early to say. I think it's changed and will continue to change. And I think that um, if it continues to change in the in the Trump mold, then I think you will see it further and further uh, recede. I think that when you see, um, you know, what happened in 2018 and what may happen in 2020, both in Congress and the U.S. Senate and then in state legislatures around the country, um, I think you're likely to see that. Um, you know, Republicans are likely to lose more seats just because of a fundamental ugliness that I think uh, a lot of Americans don't approve of and don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that has, you know, uh, you know, practical uh, consequences for redistricting and reapportionment when, you know, now there are not as many Republican seats. I mean, there are, I think, seven Republicans left in Congress in California, and there's a good chance by the end of this year they could there could be two of them left, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I think that you know, and that's that's a state of 40 million people, um, wow. and so I think that you know it's the demographics are catching up not as fast as I think many of us thought they would, but I think that you know if it's if 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 a party has no fundamental. Uh, beliefs or ideological underpinnings, then it's just a gang, right? Uh, You know, it's just, it's just a mechanism by which to acquire power, uh, keep that power, grow that power and ultimately make money off of it. 
And yeah. I think that's where you've seen the Republican Party heading, unfortunately. Yeah, I think, Reed, that you and I could talk uh, for hours if we allowed ourselves to. And I really um, I appreciate you stopping by with us. And I know our listeners are going to love this podcast. I uh, want to give you just uh, if you have any closing thoughts about the Lincoln Project and why uh, you know people should check it out and support it. Um, I'm going to give you the floor to do that before we wrap. Sure. Uh, I mean, just again, thank you again for having me on. Um, I think, you know, just go and take a look at what we're doing. Um, you know, it's it's really easy to write op-eds, as you know, you and I have written more than we can count. <laughs> um, it's a whole different thing to go out and actually, you know, take on people who for whom, you know, you might have worked or for whom you considered friends, colleagues, um, mentors, whatever it is, and say that none of us wanted to be here. Right. And this is I don't think it, I, I think to a person, none of us thought that, yep. you know, as, as 2019 ended and 2020 began that, um, you know, this far into our, many of our collective careers, that this is where we would be. But I think that given, you know, the election of President Trump and his his behavior and, you know, again, the, the sort of acquiescence of the party writ large uh, to his to his whims, we, we couldn't you know, we couldn't sit by and say, well, you know, we had an opportunity to do something in 2020 and we just decided to, you know, go to the beach and drink a Mai Tai. So, um, <laughs> you know, so I think that, you know, look for us to be very active. We already have been. You will hear a lot from us uh, as we go forward. And if you have any questions, obviously, you know, you can go to the website. We have emails. Uh, we have, you know, a lot of our, our folks are on Twitter, so you can always find us there. You can see us on television and then you'll see our work both you know advertising like most people see but we'll also be at work in these states around the country and so if you're interested we'd just love you to sign up and, and thank you again sophia for having us my pleasure uh reed i look forward to working together and you have you stay warm out there and you uh make sure you've got enough food and goodies to last for the next five days at home will do okay, thank you so much bye-bye